The depressing but inescapable reality of the COVID crisis is that, as yet, there is no vaccine. And the most optimistic of predictions conclude there won't be one until mid-2021 at the earliest. So, if the new drugs aren't available yet, our best, perhaps only hope, is to use the old drugs in new ways, treating conditions for which they weren't necessarily designed in the first place. Aifa Ali, Assistant Professor of Strategy here at Warwick Business School, has studied the complex phenomenon of repurposing existing drugs, or using drugs off-label, and has concluded it's not as unusual as might first be thought. And in this Core Insights podcast, one of a series focusing on the impact the pandemic's having on both individuals and society, and on how your organisations can survive it, she'll be suggesting how it may offer a solution to the crisis, though one not without its challenges. She joins me now on a less than perfect telephone line, it has to be said. And Professor, the talk at the moment is of a commonly used steroid by the name of dexamethasone being used in the fight against coronavirus. What exactly is this and how helpful is it going to be? So dexamethasone is the first drug that has been shown in randomized controlled studies to lower death rates. Previous drugs, such as remdesivir, didn't actually lower death rates. They lowered um, duration of disease. So in that sense, dexamethasone is extremely important as a first step in getting a handle around coronavirus and its deadly consequences. It's a corticosteroid usually used to alter inflammation in the human body. So in COVID-19, it works we think it works, by lowering the immune response. One of the things that happens in advanced COVID, in very severe COVID disease, is that the immune system goes haywire. It starts attacking itself, and this drug is supposed to sort of tame it and make it more manageable and allow people to recover from the disease. The trial results show that it saves one in eight people to whom it's given, of those who are on ventilators, and one in 25 to whom it's given that are only on oxygen and not yet on ventilators. So it's very helpful in very severe disease, and it's not helpful at all in mild disease. So the results show that it doesn't do anything for them. So we're talking here of a drug that doesn't combat the virus itself, but it does treat its effects. Yes, so that's how we can think about this. It doesn't cure the disease. It doesn't actually fight the viral infection itself. It cures the body's response to the viral infection. At least that's what we think at this point that it does. That's the theory behind how it works. Either way, the effect is beneficial, and it's your contention that more repurposing of drugs is going to be necessary to combat the virus. And indeed, as I said in the introduction, it could represent our only hope in the fight against it. That is correct. So while this is a major advance, it's only a modest advance. It won't cure every patient. It's not, it's not going to save every life. And in fact, we will probably need more drugs that can help us treat possibly early disease or that can prevent people from advancing to this stage. COVID has multiple ways in which attacks the body. 
there have been blood clotting issues identified, uh, which are being treated with those kinds of medications. There have been multiple other organ attacks that are being treated with the appropriate medication. So right now, there are about uh, there are clinical trials on over 200 individual drugs that are being tried for this. And many of those will not work in the end, but we need to keep trying. And what are some of the conditions for which these drugs were designed in the first place? So usually we find that many drugs can jump categories, as we say. They are designed for something very different, but then serendipitously or through reasoning, analogical reasoning, can help treat other diseases. Um, In this case, there are many drugs that are being tried. So many of them are reasonable, uh, such as uh, antivirals, which we hope will help. Uh, Antiparasitic drugs have been tried. Thalidomide has been tried. The very notorious drug that caused uh, phocomelia or deformed babies in the 1960s. Melatonin has been given. Melatonin is a natural hormone in the human body that helps with regulate sleep. Uh, that has been predicted to help and it's being trialed right now. So we are attacking this disease from many different places. But have doctors and scientists factored in the risks involved? Even commonly used over-the-counter drugs like ibuprofen have been shown to carry risks. So is it something of which the scientists are aware? So doctors and scientists are aware of the risks and we are hoping they are taking those into account. Some drugs are more risky to apply in than others. So, for example, dexamethasone can cause psychosis in patients to which to whom it's given. Uh, hydroxychloroquine, which has been given before, uh, can cause um, heart problems. So, those are all issues. We find that in drug repurposing or drugs that are being prescribed off-label, there are more adverse drug effects than if they were prescribed for their initial indication, possibly because the patient's Uh, have other underlying conditions, so it's not possible to predict how the patient will react to the drug. So this is definitely a concern. But given the urgency of the situation, do you think the potential benefits are beginning to outweigh those risks? So that's a very interesting question. The ideal thing to do is to have randomized control studies that can show us both benefits and potential adverse effects of the drug before we use it in clinical practice. Unfortunately, that hasn't always been the case with COVID because simply patients are dying and we need to do something about it. So what the Oxford University study is doing is laudable in that it's trying multiple drugs and it's doing it in an adaptable design, which means that they can stop if they realize that a drug is causing significant adverse effects. Now, one of the, uh, dare I say, good things about COVID-19 is it's a short illness and data can be quickly gathered. Randomized trials and placebo-controlled trials in cancer patients can take years. Yes, absolutely. So if this was a long-term disease, we would have to wait for results. So this is, for example, why vaccines take longer to test because we want to have patients be exposed to the disease for a while and see if they develop it 
However, when a disease is, um, lasts for about a couple of weeks or a, a month, we can get results very quickly. In that sense, repurposing trials and getting good quality data is very possible for COVID-19. And that also makes it imperative for us to run these clinical trials as soon as possible. So it's legal, it's ethical to repurpose a drug, but does it in any way require new licensing arrangements? It doesn't. Off-label prescribing or prescribing a drug for a use for which it hasn't been specifically approved is very common. About 20% of the drugs that are being prescribed are prescribed for uses for which the drug has not been approved officially. Uh, Doctors are allowed to do that. Oftentimes, this is the only way in which certain diseases can be treated because there are no specific drugs for them, especially orphan diseases or diseases for which we just simply don't have developed treatments yet, such as COVID. So this is completely normal. The issue is, while this is normal, we should very much be cognizant of the importance of trials. For example, we give lots of patients, especially in the beginning, we gave them uh, drugs that could have potentially made COVID worse. We just simply didn't know. Now that we know that dexamethasone is helpful, that would be perhaps the standard treatment in hospitals. And you point out that the repurposing of drugs is particularly useful in the case of rare or neglected diseases, since the pharmaceutical companies have little incentive to put money into rare conditions. So repurposing has been going on quite a lot in those areas. Absolutely. For some diseases, repurposed drugs are the only ones available for treatment. Rare diseases are those that impact very few people around the world, sometimes fewer than five, ten thousand around the world, sometimes even 50 or 100. So we do whatever we can for these. But it's because finding new drugs takes such a long time, it can be... unprofitable for a pharmaceutical company to create new drugs for these diseases. It's very expensive. Now, let's spend a moment looking at something you referred to earlier and something that's rather more common than people might think, and that's the role of serendipity, happy accidents or chance realizations that a drug used for one condition can be employed to treat another. Can you give me some examples? One of the most important or most well-known cases of serendipity in drug repurposing is that of Botox. This is a drug that was initially approved for eye twitching, a special muscle spasm. One doctor noticed that her patients were asking for this drug to be given for the other eye as well, not just the one that was afflicted with this twitching problem. And when she asked patients, they said that it basically improved their wrinkles. So the doctor thought that it was a very interesting observation. Uh, Eventually, she contacted the company and Botox was born as a wrinkle-reducing treatment. Other doctors then started to use Botox to paralyze muscles in other parts of the body to treat other diseases. Uh, For example, it's now being used to treat spasticity in cerebral palsy patients, as well as in stroke patients who are undergoing rehabilitation to 
return movement. And I suppose in this context, the obvious thing that comes to mind is Viagra. So Viagra was another interesting case. So Viagra was uh, initially created as a vasodilator. So that's a drug that dilates the blood vessels and is helpful in atherosclerosis. And during trials, it was found that it was not effective for its original indication, which was in that case heart disease. But patients, the story is, and I don't know how true that is, patients uh, did not want to return the remainder of their drugs after the trial was stopped. So the people who were running the trial started asking, and they discovered that it was uh, helping erectile dysfunction in men. And so the company very astutely uh, realized that this was a potentially very useful indication And Viagra became the most highly grossing drug in the history of pharmaceuticals. And then there's the interesting case of something really quite extraordinary, rather dated these days, mustard gas. Mustard gas was a chemical warfare agent. It killed people, lots of them, and doctors were not sure what it was. It smells of garlic, so people were trying to understand what was this chemical. And they started observing soldiers who had been gassed. They discovered that their white blood cells were being destroyed. First the lymphocytes and eventually the rest of the white blood cells. One scientist noted that this could potentially be useful in diseases such as blood cancers, like lymphomas and leukemias, where the body produces excess amount of white blood cells. So they thought of repurposing that with certain formulations. They tried it in patients, and that became the first reformulated version of this, became the first chemotherapy drug that was useful for cancer. Now, serendipity may be all very well for Botox and Viagra, but in a health emergency like COVID, is there any space for chance? One of the things that may not lead to serendipitous observations in the treatment of COVID-19 is that the disease itself is so varied that we are still learning about it. So we wouldn't, for example, know that a new symptom was caused by a drug we were using necessarily. So it would be hard to, because for serendipity to work, not only does the random event need to occur, but somebody has to notice it and has to reason that it might be useful because something else happened. So they might need to recognize that an accident had been a positive event. And in the ICU, where lots of severely ill patients are being treated, this might not always be possible to notice because these patients are already having many things done to them, they're already suffering multiple issues, so it might be harder to observe. Serendipity requires not just happy accidents to happen, but to, for somebody to recognize that it's a useful event that has occurred. And is this where technology might now lend a hand? I mean, can sophisticated computer analysis and artificial intelligence take the place of chance in repurposing drugs, or at least interpret the chances quicker? 
So what has been happening is that instead of relying on serendipity for repurposing, lots of teams around the world, science teams, have been looking at the use of machine learning algorithms or AI to predict what kinds of drugs might be useful in treating this condition. So it's not exactly serendipity in this case, but it is a way of reasoning. So they, for example, look at how a specific drug might interact with the body's systems and plug them into complex algorithm and see what drugs this can predict to be useful. There are multiple papers, multiple ways in which this has been done that have sort of spit out a list of 50 drugs that are most likely to be useful in this treatment. And some of these drugs are not things that one would expect would be useful. Um, For example, melatonin has been one of the drugs that are proposed by these computer algorithms or AI systems. And coming back to the problem at hand, the coronavirus itself, given that it can take between 10 and 15 years for a drug to be developed, trialled, approved and licensed, something's going to have to fill the gap until that vaccine comes along. That is true. We have been so far all waiting eagerly for a vaccine, but it's not clear that a vaccine will even be the absolute cure. So it's not, not all vaccines are useful for everybody who takes them, and not everybody can actually get vaccines. So in the meantime, we will need to sort of rely on our existing arsenal of drugs. We have found one that improves survival, such as dexamethasone. There are others who improve disease duration, and we are working very hard to try trial many others that might lend support in other ways, such as lowering the symptoms and so on. So we will basically have to use, instead of looking for one uh, magic bullet, we might have to rely on multiple drugs that are able to improve survival by maybe a little bit at a time. And we also, of course, shouldn't forget that we have lots of public health measures that are useful in fighting this uh, disease. So wearing masks, social distancing, all of them will be necessary for us to get through this crisis. And you say off-label prescribing can also play a key role in drug innovation. In what way? prescribing allows ideas to come from physicians uh, in addition to pharma companies. Sometimes these are serendipitous observations at other times a physician may reason that a drug is useful for something else. So that's an important aspect of drug innovation. And one thing that I study is the idea of acceptation. Acceptation is when an artifact, an object, such as a drug, for example, develops new uses over time. And when I say develops, I mean, we discover that in different contexts, it can be used for something else. So it's a very important way of uh, thinking about innovation. Sometimes such chance observations through serendipity that an object can be useful for something else can in fact allow us to open whole new avenues of exploration, So, th- such as the case of mustard gas, for example, that I talked about earlier, that opened the field of chemotherapy in a way. 
Now, we talked about the risks earlier. Um, So what happens when things don't go well? Unpleasant, possibly even lethal side effects, for example. So that is one very important issue in drug repurposing. A Canadian study shows that drugs that are prescribed off-label, especially those that don't necessarily have scientific backing, are on average much more likely to cause adverse drug events or side effects. And some of these can be, uh, as you said, deadly. So for that reason, it's very important to run clinical trials before we widely prescribe drugs to patients, including in crises like COVID, because those will allow us to observe patients and report all adverse drug events and prevent those from happening to other people. But it's definitely an issue that needs to be considered with drug repurposing. And I suppose the key here is full disclosure, frankness, openness, honesty, and full informed consent. Absolutely. The issue here becomes that not all patients are able to consent, so we have to be very careful about that. Not every physician actually discloses that a drug is being prescribed off-label. So that's important to consider when uh, such drugs are being prescribed. So read your drug label when you get it. When we take a drug, we forget that our bodies are very complex organisms. And a drug can interact with it in many ways. Sometimes we know the ways in which a drug is impacting our body, and at other times we simply don't. And sometimes one drug can impact the body in multiple ways. For example, we think that aspirin has multiple modes of action on the body. One of them is to reduce fever, and the other one is to act as a vasodilator to prevent heart attacks. And now there is talk of aspirin actually having efficacy preventing cancers. And you mention a surprising fact that each new drug, once in circulation, develops some five new uses within 15 years. We have shown that there are some drugs that will develop up to 45 new uses. They're very promiscuous in the sense that they basically have very complex interactions with the human body and they might impact multiple pathways in the human body. In that sense, Every drug, even after it's approved, is an opportunity for both uh, lots of positive side effects. Uh, That can be harnessed if we are very observant. So this puts the onus on physicians to pay attention to what's happening with the human body. Of course, this complexity also leads to the multitude of adverse drug events that we could have or multitudes of side effects that we each drug can bring. And what's the mechanism, as it were, behind this repurposing? Are researchers constantly monitoring the drug and its effects, or is it serendipity once again? Sometimes it's serendipity, and sometimes it's physicians reasoning that a drug that's useful for a disease might be useful for another disease. Or because a drug works in this way, what would happen if I gave it for this other disease that potentially has the same way in which it impacts the human body. So both mechanisms are in play. Now, bringing all this together by way of concluding, what are the implications of all this in the COVID-19 era? So the one thing that we are discovering with COVID-19 is that drug repurposing is very important. 
And the other thing that this brings forward is the importance of testing drugs for new uses. So COVID-19 has been great in the sense that lots of people have been investing in controlled uh, randomized trials because the treatment of the disease is under scrutiny the whole time and lots of people are impacted and so there's a lot of money coming into this as well. Hopefully this might lead to policy changes in terms of governments making repurposing a fruitful way for companies to explore existing drugs. Usually drugs that are off patent, companies will not necessarily conduct trials on them to repurpose because it's expensive and they don't get a return for the extra investment in clinical trials. But if there were some changes in the approval, for example, extra extension on exclusivity, for example, that could impact the incentives to invest in running these clinical trials. So that could be one other thing. And finally, for companies, lots of companies are, not that they didn't know about this, but they are now focusing and realizing the potential of drug repurposing. And as you said there, although we'd all rather COVID-19 had never existed, will there be, if you like, happy outcomes for future generations? Might it prompt new and beneficial treatments in years to come? So one thing I would be grateful for if it happened is if drug repurposing became more important. It's a cheaper way to use existing drugs, sort of like recycling, if you will. And running clinical trials and doing this in the most rigorous ways might be something that COVID has brought to us. So finally, what's your message to the general public? Are there grounds for hope? Absolutely. I think we can surmount this challenge that is COVID has posed for us. Some of it will rely on drug repurposing, new ways of innovation in drugs or vaccines, and some of it will basically be how we ourselves behave, abiding by social distancing rules, being careful, helping each other when we need it. All of these will be important. Ifa, thank you so much for sharing your thoughts and to some degree allaying our fears. Ifa Ali, Assistant Professor of Strategy at Warwick Business School, talking to me, Trevor Barnes, for this Core Insights podcast. And these podcasts will shortly be expanded to include a Core Insights series on behavioural science, coming soon.